there, my name is Kathleen, and this is The Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner podcast with Debbie Osborne. Today's guest is Dr. William Tafoya. He is an expert on the law enforcement use of high technology and the future of policing. Dr. Tafoya is a retired special agent with the FBI and experienced firsthand the impact of the internet and investigation. He is also a professor of the Criminal Justice Department at New Haven University. Dr. DeFoya shares his experience investigating the Unabomber case and discusses the instrumental impact of new technology in the field at the time. Debbie and Dr. DeFoya answer questions such as the ways information is analyzed and converted to intelligence and how technology amplifies these abilities, and also what skills do students need to be good intelligence analysts, and what might recruiters be looking for. From public safety to national security, Dr. Tafoya shares his experience and research on crime reduction efforts and discusses best practices for policing these issues. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Analyst Corner, a show dedicated to the development of crime and intelligence analysis in policing. It's September 3rd, 2008, and I'm Deborah Osborne, the host of this show. My guest today is Dr. William Tafoya from the University of New Haven's National Security Program. Bill Tafoya is an internationally recognized authority on the law enforcement use of high technology and the future of policing. As a special agent in the FBI, Bill was a pioneer in using the Internet as an investigative tool. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you, Deborah. Um, before we discuss the National Security Program at the University of New Haven, could you please tell us a bit about your role in the Unabomber investigation and your use of what was new technology at the time? Because I think listeners would find that fascinating. Certainly. Well, uh, the the Unabomber sh- struck again in uh, 1993 after uh, nearly two decade um, lapse. That is, he was uh, uh, incommunicado with anyone uh, during that period of time. That is, with the authorities, and he struck again in 1993, which resulted in the Attorney General uh, at the time uh, reconstituting the task force. I had been transferred from the FBI Academy to San Francisco in 1991. In 1993, because of the Unabomber's uh, new attacks at that time, uh, I was drawn into the investigation as the senior behavioral scientist and served as a kind of internal consultant on behavioral matters to the task force. Um, I had I had been fascinated by computer technology um, for uh, decades before when it was in its infant stages, and I uh, drew upon some resources outside of the FBI because the FBI didn't have the capacity at the time to advertise and request assistance from the public. I made use of NASA computer systems. And we put up uh, a website. We established a um, uh, email message system, which was very active uh, in those in those years. And I didn't realize at the time, but it turned out that uh, others have asserted that uh, this was the first investigative use of the internet. And this was in uh, uh, 1993. Well, well technology has been an important factor in the emergence of crime and intelligence analysis and policing. And, and um, 
where do you see that heading in the future? Um, using the Internet the way you did was, was just the first step, but now we have such a capacity to analyze information, not only for policing but national security. How, where do you see that heading? Well, I, uh, I believe that it's, we've only seen the beginning, the, the very embryonic uh, stages of what technology can do to safeguard the public and that uh, as this technology emerges, as it has evolved over the period of years, law enforcement was slow to make use of, but increasingly is making more and more use of cutting-edge technology. Some of that has been portrayed uh, in fictional accounts in various movies in the past decade. And I am fond of saying that it's interesting how life imitates fiction. It's not my original statement. I think it's Andy Warhol's. But um, uh, nevertheless, I, I believe that we are just on the, at the, the beginning stages, really, of what technology can do for us to help um, the public, uh, help law enforcement to better serve the American public. I, I agree with you definitely, and I, that's why I think that while crime and intelligence analysis isn't seen is seen more as an accessory to law enforcement, it will become more central because we'll be using that technology to to understand our problems better and to gather information more quickly, and we'll need people and equipment to to take that information and maximize. Its potential, but meanwhile, you have a new, you have a rather new program at the University of New Haven. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes. It, well, it's it's not new. New that is, it is in its sixth year. The National Security Graduate Program. Uh, there's only a, a handful, less than a handful, really, of such programs around the country. But that uh, such programs uh, that have labeled themselves Homeland Security, have emerged since 9-11. Uh, our program was actually proposed before 9-11, and after 9-11, uh, immediately after 9-11, it became obvious uh, to us here at the University of New Haven that the program that had been proposed by the dean at the time, um, Tom Johnson, he was. Uh, this was his vision. He created the program, the curriculum, and after 9-11, it began being offered here as well as at satellite campus in California and then other satellite campuses. But the essence is that of this program is that it, we're preparing the pe people to work as intelligence analysts in the intelligence community. Several have gone on to work uh, in law enforcement agencies doing the kind of things that you spent your career doing. And, and what do intelligence, some of our listeners are the public and some of our listeners are students and um, some of our listeners are in law enforcement and don't know very much about the intelligence community and what an intelligence analyst does in the intelligence community. So could you give an overview of that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, essentially, uh, intelligence analysts, whether looking at crime or looking at um, activities of foreign agents, agents of foreign governments attempting uh, to to get a um, 
an advantage over us economically through what's referred to as uh, economic espionage or industrial espionage, or uh, the the work of terrorists, the analysis is pretty much the same, and that is to review mountains and mountains of information and extract nuggets that would be converted into what's called intelligence. It's uh, the the simple example is that uh, to for, for the public might be to describe looking for a needle in the haystack. The information that analysts review is comes from many different sources, and there's lots of it. All of it may be useful, but it wouldn't constitute what's called intelligence. Intelligence would be the 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 needle or the the gold nuggets that can be uh, put together from different sources that no one single uh, source would reveal and that would point to things that would be helpful to defense of the nation or to learn something about um, an opponent, uh, whether that's a government or it's a group like al-Qaeda. So you see similarities between the analyst in the intelligence community and an analyst in law enforcement. I when, think the techniques are the same. Uh, it's the objective is is different. What are the techniques? So you're looking at all this information, and so when you're, what do your students learn in your program? Well, they learn a number of things. Um, the way our curriculum is structured, for example, they learn about the architecture. That is the way the national security system was established in 1947, what the mission is, and by the way, 47 was the, is, is sort of the birth of formalized intelligence gathering in the United States. And so we uh, offer a course that examines the architecture mission, a course, another course that looks at personnel security programs, that is how uh, inform, uh, information and intelligence is classified, uh, secret, top secret, and beyond, and what are the things that a person who gets that kind of a clearance, what standards do they have to hold themselves to, how would they lose their clearances, what would they do to lose them. Uh, then we look at the, the legal issues, executive orders of the presidents over the years, and we look at uh, uh, information systems that are used in secure environments. Those are the four essential uh, or required courses in this 36-credit uh, program that leads to a master's degree in national security. There are a number of other electives that include the use of analytical tools of various kinds, which goes back to your to your question about what's um, uh, what are the what are the ways in which uh, a- information is analyzed that is converted to intelligence. And what kind of skills do you look what do students need? Obviously, um, I was over. I was looking on on the internet site at your program, and and you like to work closely on a in classroom basis with students rather than online. But what are you looking for in students? What kinds of individuals make good intelligence analysts? In my opinion, uh, Deborah, good intelligence analysts are those who are first and foremost critical thinkers. They're 
they are individuals who can connect the dots, okay? people that can look at disparate pieces of information and see the connections in those disparate pieces that m draw one to in, in a direction that will help uh, the, the information reviewed become intelligence. Uh, we need people who are articulate, people who have um, uh, the ability to change direction. I mean, nothing is very static in the intelligence community, uh, nor in law enforcement tracking, uh, for example, uh, uh, drug traffickers, uh, organized crime figures. Uh, those people move at, at a very rapid pace, and in order to be able to keep up with them, and the, the, keeping up with them is, is almost the best we can do because government has limited budgets, limited resources, and limited time. And organized crime and terrorists don't have any such restrictions. They have no budgetary uh, restrictions within which they have to work, nor do they have... Nor, nor do they adhere to the to the rule of law, which uh, which uh, in in government uh, we must we must do. So yeah. those are the the essential requirements. There are other other very useful skills, such as having foreign language capabilities, um, but uh, primarily, in my view, it's critical thinkers and those who can uh, adapt and adjust quickly to changing environments. And as, as you kept saying, there seems to be quite a similarity between what an analyst, even at the local level, must have as far as skills and abilities are. But now, and we have the national security level, what, in our post-9-11 world, you see more and more having to work together. The FBI is now part of the intelligence community. It wasn't, I believe, prior to 9 or was it? Uh, you know, what, how does law enforcement work with national security, and how do you see this changing? Um, some of our listeners will not know that you were one of the founders of the Police Futurist International, and you're a renowned futurist also. So you have been thinking ahead for many years before um, many of us have about the future of policing. What do you see as the, the role of policing Homeland Security, law enforcement, national security. Do you see changes in the future? Absolutely. And I, uh, the changes are, have already started since 9 11, uh, slowly at first, but picking up speed. And the way in which uh, law enforcement and the federal intelligence agencies uh, had interacted in the past was um, uh, almost not at all. And when they did, very sparingly uh, providing very limited kind of information. Now, this has been often viewed, including by law enforcement, as the feds not wanting to share. In fact, there were uh, legal requirements, statutory requirements, that the federal government not share information with, with anyone who didn't have the appropriate security clearance. And few, if any, in local law enforcement had the security clearances that uh, prohibited the federal law enforcement agencies from uh, cooperating with local law enforcement. There have been some statutory um, revisions. I won't say loosening of the...
requirements, but uh, revisions that uh, has made it possible for uh, local law enforcement to work hand-in-hand with federal law enforcement in places that uh, have been uh, called uh, state intelligence centers. We have one here in Connecticut. Uh, There uh, are also what are referred to as fusion centers. And in these instances, local law enforcement officers work daily, hand-in-hand, in in efforts to try to uh, assess information, determine what constitutes intelligence from that information, and learn both the techniques, uh, the methods, the means of analysis, and and how to develop relationships between agencies based on this day-to-day contact between local law enforcement and federal law enforcement. So I see uh, the the successes that have been reported of these kinds of collaborations uh, suggest to me that we're moving in the the right direction, direction we should have been moving uh, long before, but it's working now in virtually every place that I'm aware of around the United States. Many um, leaders in the field of crime and intelligence analysts, people who are trying to develop this as a profession, face the obstacle that law enforcement managers don't seem to understand the value of intelligence. And so what would you say that we could do about that? Well, I I don't know that uh, I would necessarily agree that law enforcement uh, doesn't see the value in it, but what I think has happened is that that as budgets become tighter and tighter and tighter, that it's they have uh, administrators have less and less um, options or electives to make use of people to dedicate to doing uh, intelligence analysis uh, at the local level. The smaller the department, the fewer the dollars. The bigger the department, the more uh, the more need there is to spread the relatively few resources that they have. And like crime analysis, for example, a field of study that you have devoted uh, your your career to as well, uh, this has been around since the 50s, but only in the last decade or so has the value of that technique been seen as something worth investing human resources in. And so I think that intelligence analysis is... Uh, going to follow that same path at the local level. The federal government understands and makes pretty good use of of its resources to dedicate to intelligence analysis. Federal law enforcement has tighter budget restrictions, and because the public uh, doesn't often understand what value there is, and because there is such a negative connotation from the 60s and 70s with the word intelligence, uh, it's um, it's seen as Big Brother spying on the public. Uh, that's not true at all. And the emergence of what's been called intelligence-led policing now, I think, is um, is a positive step. In addition, there are uh, professional associations that are beginning to emerge, such as um, the uh, uh, the organizations that. Uh, meet on a regular basis to discuss issues related to intelligence such as uh, the ethics of intelligence gathering, uh, analytical tools, the use of tools, and um, 
uh, curricula uh, at, uh, offered at various universities. You recently hosted um, the IFE conference. Maybe you could explain what IFE is and sure. the value uh, I- of it. Uh, Sure. IAFI is uh, an acronym for International Association for Intelligence Education. Um, The University of New Haven's National Security Program hosted the most recent meeting, the 10th meeting, 10th annual meeting uh, in uh, in Connecticut, where in noted uh, authorities on various topics related to the role. This the theme this year was the role of research in intelligence. And so we had people who spoke in various aspects of uh, that topic, including uh, the, um, uh, the keynote speaker on the first day, who was from um, Sweden, uh, Magnus Ransdorp, uh, in my opinion, the uh, Europe's leading authority on uh, international terrorism, who just uh, published a book recently on uh, the role of research. And we had several, uh, all of our speakers were uh, renowned in their particular field, concluding with the uh, the head of the National Security Branch of uh, the FBI, uh, Phil Mudd. So the, the, the reason for the gathering is people who are members of this organization gathered to hear others, uh, some of whom were members and some who were not, but to listen to uh, the... Uh, and, and discuss issues related to the role of research. Next year, the theme will be something else. But um, IAFI is an organization which was founded by uh, Robert Heibel at uh, Mercyhurst College in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, uh, perhaps the first such program that offered an undergraduate degree. Uh, the number of schools that offer graduate degrees uh, are growing, but the orientation is a little bit different. As I say, some focus on homeland security rather than national security. What is the difference between homeland security and national security? Well, it, for me, it's a it's pretty simple. Uh, homeland security involves dealing with uh, uh, issues such as natural disasters like Katrina and Gustav, and related uh, local. Uh, area matters, state and local issues. Uh, FEMA, for example, comes to mind. That's part of homeland security. National security involves protecting the security of the nation, and that's where our focus is here at the University of New Haven, is preparing people to do that. Uh, The degree, uh, however, doesn't prohibit somebody from going operational. That's the way I describe it. We have people who have gone on to get commissions in the military, who have gone on to become FBI agents, for example. Um, And there's also people who've who've gone to work for um, corporate interests, public, uh, private sector interests that have national security concerns, uh, Department of Defense contractors, uh, the people like Sikorsky that make helicopters, electric boat, people that make uh, submarines, uh, Pratt Whitney, they make engines for for um, a space program and other uh, Department of Defense related. We we have a, a broad spectrum of placement of students, and uh, the, one of the things that we have that's a requirement of our program is an internship where the student before they graduate goes 
goes to spend a period of time with um, a, a, a government agency or corporation that has uh, this kind of background. So they'll they'll have a better understanding of of uh, the nature of the work that they're going to be doing once once they um, uh, apply for employment in these organizations. I I've read a statistic. It used to be that um, 80% of the intelligence gathered for national security used to be covert intelligence and 20% was open source, and now it's, it's turned around to 80% being open source and 20% being covert or secretly gathered intelligence. Um, could you discuss open source information and how intelligence analysts use that for national security and how they might use it in general sure. in, in public safety? Certainly. Uh, the the um, I guess the, the Hollywood image is that intelligence is done by spies, espionage agents on both the good guys and the bad guys, depending on one's, uh, where one, one's view is. But in fact, uh, I'm not so sure that that has ever been the case because it is so difficult to penetrate an organization um, and and to be gather informations from the inside, that is covert information, information gathered through espionage. And then the difficulty is that it's very difficult to validate that which a person is seeing, reading, or hearing about. And and the the chances of being discovered in that role are very very high. Uh, so if you if you take an organization like Al Qaeda, for example, they uh, they recruit people to who have who they have known for years, know their families and so forth. So it's very difficult to insert somebody into such an organization who is uh, an espionage agent. Open source information, which is as you assert, probably 80 percent of all intelligence comes from open source information. Open source are those things which are available to the general public, magazines, newspapers, books, uh, radio programs, television. Those are anything that's available to the public is what's referred to as open source. Now, to go back to the metaphor I used before, if all of those various uh, mediums for, for reporting information are used, that constitutes the haystack finding the uh, the pin is requires the critical thinking the uh, ability to to communicate orally and in writing to be able to shift directions quickly when the part of the uh, of the um, uh, haystack that's being looked at turns out that this is going in the wrong direction. Well, we need to go a different direction. We need to do it quickly. To, uh, that is the open source information that one has to be able to validate before they convert it to intelligence. And it's difficult, very difficult, to validate everything to ensure that that there isn't what's called disinformation that's being thrown out to try to mislead the intelligence uh, analysis process. So trying to validate uh, the things that seem like they are um, useful 
pieces of information to convert to intelligence is a is a very difficult task, and it's not always possible to to um, go from analysis to saying to somebody, okay, this is this is what we believe we know about the bad guy, and we need to go in that direction, and we're ninety uh, percent certain of it. It rarely uh, an ability to say we're 90% certain of anything. And that's that's part of the frustration both inside the intelligence community as well as for the uh, intelligence um, analysts to be able, because everybody wants certainty, and it's very difficult, if not impossible, to establish certainty to the level of um, 100%. And um, one last question, then. How does your experience in law enforcement inform your work in national security? You brought a wealth of experience in your career in the FBI and policing law enforcement to to your new role, or not that new role, but your, your current role as, as an educator in national security. How did your experience inform your new position? Well, uh, the, the nature of my experience... What, uh, enabled me, and, and I can make use of that in helping to prepare young people to move into this field now because I worked for uh, undercover for um, a number of years. Then I served a, as an instructor at the FBI Academy. And then I worked on other cases um, subsequently, including the Unabomber case that you mentioned. So uh, the, uh, those all fold together as experiences that I can draw on as examples when I talk about the theoretical parts of the subject matter in this uh, field. So terrorism on the domestic front is also a national security issue. Absolutely. It, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, I, I don't even think that the word dormant is appropriate here, but because uh, domestic terrorists uh, are continually plotting ways to uh, promote their agendas uh, inside the the, uh, the nation um, on various fronts, animal rights, um, uh, as well as, and I'm not talk, speaking of, of PETA here per, per se, but there are uh, groups, uh, Animal Liberation Front uh, and uh, others that uh, promote more radical r- responses to government policy and societal um, wishes. So there, there are a lot of domestic uh, groups that uh, are in various stages of, uh, of um, uh, res- reacting to and initiating action um, to those things which they um, do not believe are appropriate and use radical means to achieve their ends. And local law enforcement actually is likely to find the indicators of that activity in their community um, and not to violate civil liberties or anything, but the theft, let's say, of certain chemicals from agricultural areas could indicate terrorist plots. So there's many ways that, that all the levels of public safety intersect with national security as well. Absolutely, uh, Deborah, and that's why the uh, at the top of your program, uh, the mention, my mention of uh, intelligence centers and fusion centers is such a productive way to have local law enforcement who's likely to see the indicators, as you, as you described it, early on and be able to use that to, as part of the, uh, not only the collection but the analysis 
components of of creating uh, intelligence. Uh, local lo- local law enforcement officers who know their community, who know the area, and who see the subtle changes that may not be obvious to somebody at the federal level. It's a I think it's a great partnership that has uh, evolved, and, and I think will continue to serve national security interests as well as um, local and state crime um, um, reduction efforts. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Bill, and I wish you luck in the program. I'm sure well, I'm sure you already are a success, and, and thank you for all you've done to promote the study of the future of policing. And so um, it, it's the end of our show, and for our listeners, thank you for joining us in Analyst Corner. Analyst Corner is available at the Blog Talk Radio website as an audio stream and as an MP3 download. You can also subscribe to the show in a podcast format at the Apple iTunes Store. Stay tuned for more expert guests and best practices in crime and intelligence analysis. Again, thank you, and stay safe. Thank you, Bill. Take care. Thank you, Deborah, for the opportunity. Those that want to learn more about our program can go to our website, www.newhaven.edu slash national security. National Thank security you. is uh, all uh, run together so uh, to make it easy to uh, to access uh, that information. And I'll Thank put it on the show description this. too. I'll add that to the show description so people can go to, to the Blog Talk Radio site and when they're looking at the show they can find your website as well. Okay? Thank you, Deborah. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye now.